0: Blue Wire. Think about Lawrence. Fires to the end zone. Touchdown! Alabama wins! Elliot. dodges the eye of this national championship win.
1: A deep throw by
0: Lawrence. A lot of contact. Justin Ross broke free from it. He's down in the end zone. Touchdown, Clemson.
1: Welcome into episode 136 of Press Pass. I'm Kayla Anderson alongside my co-host Joshua Perry. If you can tell in my voice, Hmm. I'm a bit aggravated this morning because we've already had technical issues. But you know what, Joshua, we just keep storming forward because all that matters is the content that we bring our listeners, right?
0: Well, this is the uh, show brought to you by frequent technical difficulties. So Uh, As a matter of fact, if we didn't have technical issues, then we really didn't do a show.
1: Exactly. Every week we have something for you guys just to keep you entertained. But we have a lot to get to. And we'll start with week zero of the college football season because week one is coming up this week, starting on Thursday. I have to ask you about this Nebraska-Illinois game because all eyes were on Scott Frost. Has he, you know, progressed in terms of this program and getting it going in the right direction. And when I watched that game, Joshua, I just can't say that I feel good about the direction of this program at this point.
0: Yeah. I mean, especially for year four, for Scott Frost. And uh, on the last episode, I kind of talked about it when we we previewed what was coming up in week zero for both teams. And I think I kind of had a, a beat on how the game was going to go. Imagine that boy knows some big 10 football, but um as you, you look at the performance from Nebraska, there were a lot of issues. Obviously, Martinez uh, missed on some opportunities, and that's what a lot of people are going to talk about, and uh, he's taken his fair share of lumps in his career. He's taken them right now, and uh, it's warranted in some ways. I think it's unwarranted in other ways, but I I've kind of had a feeling that Nebraska in to a certain degree, Illinois, were are only going to be as good as a quarterback play And Illinois with our Sikowski stepping in, they did a really good job with the quarterback. Um, Nebraska was up and down, but I think the game is a lot bigger than that. And you can look to so many different issues that essentially led to the demise of Nebraska in that game early on cam Taylor Britt, who I think is a pretty good player made an egregious error on a punt return where, you know, he backed up, fielded it, really inside the the one yard line which you're not supposed to field it inside the 10 was going backwards as he caught it took a knee in the end zone um, and and you know kind of had the illegal forward pass which didn't count anyway but like I mean it was a million errors on that play they had a momentum changing play that was negated by a uh, an unnecessary roughness where a player piled drove the quarterback which you just can't do in football anymore. Um, and then taunted him afterwards. That was a a play that was an interception that became a 30-yard swing in favor of Illinois. And then you had a play at the end of the half where Adrian Martinez put the ball on the ground. And he's done that, I would say, more than any quarterback that I've seen in the Big Ten play, maybe Mm -hmm. in the nation right now. And that was a scoop and score opportunity for Illinois. And then as you really evaluate, they got their ass beat in the trenches, just to say it bluntly. Yeah. I would say on both sides of the ball where Martinez was under duress and that led to some of the plays where he just, he he was thrown off of his back foot a ton. Um, and even plays where he wasn't under pressure, he was still throwing off his back foot because I, he's just used to being under pressure, which is bad. And on the flip side, Illinois ran the ball, and that's what we expected out of a Brett Bielema team. And so I think this is right. indicative of the direction of either program, where Scott Frost, too many mistakes still. Uh, the development has not happened across the lines of scrimmage. I think they have yeah. talented skill players, but they make too many mistakes. And then for Brett Bielema, you got a quarterback who was efficient, did not make very many mistakes. Um, I think they only turned the ball over one time, and they were able to run the piss out of the ball. And um, that's how you win ball games. Now, as you look for Nebraska, as I wrap this up, they've got on their schedule – Oklahoma, a game that they're, they're going to get run out of the, the facility on, which is a sad thing to say, yeah. but you know just the way Oklahoma's built, that's probably what's going to happen. And then you look at the Big Ten West. They've got to play Wisconsin, who I think is going to be a really solid team this year. They've got Iowa, who I do believe is going to be a very, very solid team. Minnesota, who is a dark horse in the West for me, where I think they're going to be a better than what a lot of people expect right now. And then they've got crossover games against Ohio State and Michigan. It's going to be a tough year for Nebraska, and you felt like they had to make week zero count, and they didn't.
1: And that's the thing. I felt like that was such an important game, not just because it was a Big Ten game, but because it really, in a way, can set the tone for the rest of the season, especially if you are a head coach like Scott Frost, who kind of is feeling the weight of everything now at this point since he's been there a bit. So my question to you real quick, Joshua, is with one of the hardest schedules in college football this year, and yes, it is one of them. I was reading a couple articles on that. Do you feel like if he doesn't get it together this season that he's
0: out? I would say yes. And there are a number of reasons. Is The display that we saw in week zero in a winnable game. And let me say this. I, I believe that Illinois is going to be a bowl team this year. Uh, you look at yeah. their next five games, they're five winnable games, they've got UTSA sure. coming up and then they've got Virginia, but then it's like a Maryland and a Purdue or something like it's, it's a very, uh, the next five are winnable for them. Um, but you, you felt like this was a winnable game still for Nebraska. They didn't get it done. Even yeah. though it is a tough schedule, there are going to be things that you'll be able to look at as indicators of Scott Frost's job. Uh, Number one, the quarterback development, which we haven't seen out of Martinez. And I think he's a gutsy player. I do think he's limited in some regards, but he just, he makes, he misses too many plays that a D1 quarterback should make at a Nebraska caliber program. And then just some mistakes, sloppy special teams, penalties all around, turnovers, those types of things you can't have. And I think for a program with a new AD who wants to have a reset of the culture of the athletic department and the way that things are operating. I think this could be one of those uh, situations where you cut ties and, and you want to give the benefit of the doubt, but I, I just don't think there's a situation where it happens.
1: Yeah, I just it doesn't look great in terms of the direction it's going in. But then again, we look at Michigan and they continue to just be okay with Harbaugh, and it's just like one of those things. How how many Big Ten teams are going to just be happy with being you know, mediocre and not getting above that or not progressing in any way. And I hope that if this isn't something where you're seeing Scott Frost progress, that they just cut ties with him. Because I just think it. you never want that many uh, programs to just be mediocre. Like, yeah. especially the day and age we're in with the competition between all these conferences. Yes. I mean, the Big Ten – to make sure that it stays competitive. And with guys like Brett Bielema, I see that happening, but you can't keep programs mediocre like Michigan and Nebraska with those coaches. So So it'll be interesting to see what they do with that.
0: Just real quick to jump in on that. It's interesting. I don't necessarily, this is the, the unique thing about the Nebraska situation is I can't say that either side is really at fault. Like Scott Frost has to be a better coach. And we understand that. Mm -hmm. But me and you have had this conversation before. There should have been nothing to tell you that Scott Frost was necessarily ready for this moment. Because you look at what he did at Oregon. It was a a team that was coached by Chip Kelly. He was a wide receivers coach on that staff. They made four BCS games in four years, including a national championship game. Then Chip Kelly leaves. Mark Helfrich is uh, promoted. And they promote Scott Frost to OC and quarterbacks coach. And he ends up coaching a Heisman Trophy winner. But all of that... Foundation was laid. Then he gets the job at Central Florida. And that was a team that had won their conference a, uh, two years in a row, a couple years before he got there. They had a really bad year where the team essentially quit on their head coach and kind of ran him out. And then Scott yeah. Frost turns that thing around. But it wasn't like the cupboard was bare. And he's also recruiting in Florida, where even if you're getting third tier players out of Florida, they're still really good players. And so I don't know if there was anything that indicated he was ready for a moment like building Nebraska back to a national contender. But at the same time, if you're Nebraska, you got to get the guy because he was the guy who, who was there for national championships and he is Nebraska. He's your son. And so it's, it's this really weird situation where like, yes, Scott has to be better, but I'm not exactly sure that he was ready for the moment. I'm not sure. I'm not sure Nebraska necessarily made a mistake in bringing him in. It just didn't work out in the end. Um, And then to, to hit on the Michigan thing, What's really interesting to me, and we've had this conversation, and I think it's worth repeating, is Michigan's last Big Ten championship, where I don't even think they were outright Big Ten champs, was 2004. There are players on their roster who would not have seen that game because they would have been too young to even like watch it and be coherent. And the last time that they beat Ohio State in Columbus was like you know in the in the mid 2000s or something like that. Again, like there that's that's a departure for their players in that locker room, Michigan's had nine and 10 win seasons. Most programs would be okay with that. So it's like two really weird situations where Nebraska is kind of living in this nineties. And even you, you go back a decade and they were competing in a big 10 championship, but I'm not exactly sure that's what that program is today. Same thing with Michigan. Like they're far, far away from the days where they were running the big 10. And so you got to have a conversation between what you believe a program can be and what they actually are in the moment.
1: Yeah, I I mean that's those are some great points, and and you being in the actual vicinity of all Big Ten schools up there and covering it every day, you, you know you know you see just how things are running and, and every year how things are changing or if they're not changing, mm-hmm. um, and so it'll be again just something to monitor this season. And when you were talking about Michigan and and we've talked about this several times on this podcast, how Harbaugh has not really. Um, done a great job in development of these players, which is a little bit surprising to me. And that brings me to this next segment, because if you watched the UCLA game against Hawaii uh, last week, mm-hmm. you saw one of Michigan's transfers. Yes. And that is Zach Charbonnet. And he was a running back with Michigan who um, I believe he, I mean, he was like a freshman and was playing and had some success. And he then, was a good running I don't guy. know. Do you, do you know the, the story behind the transfer? Because he is from California, but do you know why he transferred to UCLA?
0: Yeah. And, and I, you know, this is kind of um, a, a little bit rumor mill esque. And so I don't necessarily like going here. Yeah. But I think it okay. was, it was a, a kind of a difference in opinion on how he was being utilized, the share of the carries and his role within the offense okay. and his his family was pretty vocal on social media about some of that stuff. And again, it's another one of those situations. You brought it up, but if you're going to knock Jim Harbaugh, I would say one of the biggest knocks on him is the lack of player development. And it's really, really interesting. I got to um, you know, talk to some NFL scouts when I was out there on the road with the Big Ten Network, which is one of the beautiful things about being out there is you kind of get inside and you get to talk to different people. But one of the things that they say is they'll get cats out of Michigan on really, really good value because they just underproduced in college, but they're really good players. They weren't necessarily developed to the level of their potential. And the NFL guys love that because they can get some value for some players or you know, underdrafted guys who end up performing really well. But that's one of the biggest knocks on Jim Harbaugh and his staff is that they have not gotten the most out of players. But again, Still with Michigan not getting the most out of their players, they recruit better than almost anybody in America. Um, and they can roll yeah. guys out there and win eight, nine, ten games a year, which is mind-boggling.
1: Yeah, and look, I, maybe it was the the right decision because he clearly went out and balled out in this game against Hawaii. And I know it was Hawaii, and you can't really say much when when you're looking at you know UCLA. You kind of knew that they were going to give it to them. But I will ask you this. It looks like Chip Kelly is getting a lot of preseason love mm-hmm. or, you know, just one game in. I feel like all the national media is talking about UCLA and, "Oh my gosh, could they could the Bruins be back and is this the year that they're, you know, competitive in the Pac-12 again?" And all this stems from the fact that they say, "Okay, Chip Kelly for the past few years has had a really young team. Now all those freshmen that he put out there Three years ago, now they're seniors, and now they're they're comfortable with what they're doing. Um, they've got an interesting like plan in terms of the run game, and you saw some of that with with them on against um, the Hawaii team I was talking about. But do you really think like Chip Kelly has these guys buying in? Do you really think that they can be one of the top teams in the Pac-12, or is this the national media just wanting to create a storyline again?
0: A little bit of both. Um, Chip Kelly is always going to be a yeah. hot name. But uh, and, and the Pac-12 is is vulnerable. They're winnable. Um, I don't know if the competition's necessarily deep in that conference, but at the same time, I think we run away with some of these early uh, season storylines and we kind of build them up a little bit more than we should maybe buy into them. That might be a little bit of the situation
1: mm-hmm. here. Yeah, no, I, it, it's going to be one of those things that we're going to bring up here on the podcast because you know me, I'm so hesitant on anything in terms of giving the Pac-12 credit because it's one of those things where they haven't proved it in the past couple of seasons as a conference as a whole. So I'm going to be weary about these teams because I heard also on game day, like Herb Street and some of the guys were picking the teams that could, could like really shock people. UCLA was one of those teams. Uh I believe the Utes, Utah Utes were one of those teams. They were definitely kind of picking out Pac twelve. USC was one of those teams. Yeah. They were definitely like trying to give the Pac twelve love, which I thought was hilarious because since when have they earned that? Uh um, yeah, so but again that's being hard on a conference that, you know.
0: Yeah. I mean, you can make a case for USC and uh Utah always, Sure. you know, I think those are two teams yeah. that have, um, for USC it's resources and it's proximity to talent for Utah. It's just a culture. I mean, they've, they've had the same guy running the damn thing for so long.
1: <laughs> That's so true. They just can't get like to a point of getting past that we're, we're good, but can we be great? Like, I believe they can right. be, but they just haven't gotten to that point yet. So before we wrap things up, I am obviously looking forward to all the games coming up this weekend. I think one of them will be uh, UCLA and LSU. LSU had to come there um, because of the hurricane. They're spending pretty much the whole week in California. It'll be interesting to see what happens. If Chip Kelly can get his guys to beat this LSU team, who says they're going to be better on defense this year, I'll give him a little credit. I'm really intrigued by that game. I'm intrigued by the Georgia Clemson game. Um, DJ Uli Ungalale. I think that that will be a a big uh, thing to watch in terms of his progression as the quarterback there at Clemson. And also, the Bulldogs just didn't have a good camp. They've got a lot of injuries, Joshua, so I'm not quite sure how well they'll come out in this game, Um, but it should be a good one to watch as well. And then you've got Ohio State and – Minnesota are you just like so anxious to see this one
0: yes and hopefully my mic doesn't cut out um, during this little breakdown here because again issues but it's it's a new day in Columbus with a new quarterback CJ Stroud and so I'm I'm always curious how a young quarterback looks and he's a guy who has not thrown a pass in a college game and so obviously that becomes a little bit of a question. But um, Ohio state also has questions on defense where last year they were miserable at times to watch it defensively. And you're looking at a Minnesota team that is one of the most veteran teams in the big 10 and in, 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 all of America, they've got a, a quarterback who's ha- he has a bunch of starts under his belt. They've got the returning big 10 running back of the year. They've got five returning starters across the offensive line. And I think 10 returning starters on defense. So this game gets a little bit interesting just in terms of a veteran Minnesota team that's going to be hungry because they were not very good last year for a number of reasons and an Ohio State team that's got a lot of hype, uh, but they still got some question marks out there.
1: Yeah, I'm really curious to see, like you said, with the new quarterback, there hasn't been as much preseason talk about Ohio State because I think people are just waiting to see what really happens. but. We've seen what Day has done there. I mean, the players buy in. It's one of those programs like Alabama that you kind of just reload, and this will be a, a good um, kind of measuring test. This first game with a, with a guy up there in Minnesota that you love, um, we'll we'll watch a suit game definitely on what is it Thursday they play or Friday they play Friday Thursday, oh, they do play Thursday. Yeah, okay. and,
0: and PJ so, came with uh, the uh, the the suit for the press conference yesterday. It looked great.
1: Oh yeah. That's what I wanted to hear, Joshua. I love it. Well, uh, we appreciate you making the time today. Cause I know you got a bi- busy schedule this week and we appreciate you all for listening. Where can they go to find you, Joshua?
0: Find me on Twitter and Instagram at RIP underscore JEP. Also got a little TikTok running at RIP underscore JEP.
1: Let's do it. All right, my friend appreciate it. You can follow me at Kayla Anderson TV We thank you guys for listening. We'll be back next week with hopefully uh, some breakdowns, some of these great games coming up. Enjoy week one of college football. Take care.